Good morning. This is from Sunday to Monday, the River Oaks Presbyterian Church podcast, where we answer your questions about uh, yesterday's sermons and try to make uh, everything we can, uh, everything we say as practical as possible. Today, Jonathan Dorst is in Cuba doing a uh, mission trip and sitting on the beach for uh, the glory of God. And I have with me Brent Corbin. Brent, say hello. Hello. Brent, tell everybody what you do. I am the RUF Reformed University Fellowship Campus Minister at the University of Tulsa here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So he is the local expert on singles and singles who want to be married and singles who think they'll never be married. And uh, so I'm excited to talk to him about our sermon yesterday. The last two weeks, uh, yesterday I preached on singleness, uh, celibacy, and, and whether or not that's a punishment. And then the week before, of course, I preached on homosexuality. So that's, that's where we're going to start. Um, in just a second, we'll start answering the, the questions we didn't get to the week before about homosexuality. And then I'll just ask Brent some questions about uh, singleness and what life is like. Before we get into that, Brent, did you watch the game last night? I did. We had about 50 college students in our living room, so we were making a lot of grilled cheeses and meeting some new folks. But here and there, I was watching it. I watched most of the fourth quarter. And it made me glad that I pretty much only watched the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was uh, it was the most boring Super Bowl I can remember. Um, but that's you know that's how you play the game. Why well, you play them to win? You don't play for numbers. So yeah, it, it just NFL football at that at that level is just so much different than the fast paced college football where you have a chance of scoring fifty or sixty points a game. It was more like watching Alabama. <laughs> play every game. Just so you're saying the Alabama Crimson Tide is basically an NFL team. Is that what you're saying? Uh, essentially. They have NFL quality <laughs> athletes, 25 deep on each side. So, well, And they and they had the uh, the best recruiting class in the country this year. Yet again. So, But that's all right. We'll, richer. we'll watch the Oklahoma Sooners get their 20th place recruiting class and coach them up and <laughs> go for a national championship again next year. Boomer. All right. Well, let's get into these questions. And because uh, not there's – of all the questions we've gotten, I haven't gotten a single one about football, so um, which is unfortunate. By the way, I have decided uh, Ash Wednesday is Wednesday, and uh, have you decided what you're going to give up this year? I have not. I'm giving up football. <laughs> you're such I, a sacrificial. I am not going to watch a single year. football game from Ash Wednesday till Easter. Well so. done, well done. All right. Well, you know, I'll, I'll dwell on. I'll, I'll do something equally challenging. I'm sure. <laughs> now, you know what? I actually, I'm going to do. I'm going to. Uh, I think, I think I'm going to drink a gallon of water a day. Instead of giving something up this year, I'm going to add something, and I'm going to write on my gallon. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. <laughs> you think this is good? You're gallon. so ridiculous and so spiritual. I know, but I think because drinking a gallon of water will make me give up everything else that I drink, basically. But it also, I don't know. I just feel like doing. I'm actually being serious right now, as goofy as it sounds. You know, because as I drink that water, I want to be praying about uh, needing a deeper drink of Jesus and uh, receiving His grace more deeply. I know it sounds crazy, but I actually think I'm going to do that. I, I'll commend it. <laughs> by, by the way, if you're listening and you want a good laugh from time to time, you just need to get to know Ricky and his various dieting, exercising antics. <laughs> they fluctuate worse than the Oklahoma weather. <laughs> well... Uh, always a source of entertainment. Never, never in shape, but always uh, entertaining. <laughs> entertaining. There you go. All right. Well, let's. Uh, speaking of exercise and diet, let's ask this question. I'm assuming this question comes from uh, someone who is uh, has same sex attraction. He says, "I trust God completely. I'm just tired. 
So Brent, as a campus minister, uh, what would your response to that be? I think first off, I would acknowledge the that, that following the Lord is is hard, uh, especially in an area that um, such as sexuality, which is so just so much at the forefront of our minds, is certainly at the forefront of our culture, and trying to stand against a tide that is so strong and so prevailing around you, it it is exhausting. And so I would certainly not want to uh, kind of denigrate or minimize what that person's what that person's experience mm-hmm. is. I think the first part of that statement, you know, is, you know, I trust God completely. Um, as a, as a mm-hmm. good Presbyterian with, a, I think, a, trying to, a full-orbed understanding of sin. We, all, we always ought to be a little skeptical of our own efforts mm-hmm. and our heart and how, how well we're trusting God. And, um, again, I don't want to minimize what, what yeah. the experience of trusting God with that area of life is like. Um, but also trusting God means that we're trusting what he's revealed to us in his word. And he says that he will never uh, tempt us beyond what we can bear and that yeah. he always gives us a way out. And so in the midst of the exhaustion, uh, we need to know that that even if our heart is failing and even if it is exhausted and even if it's fleeting in our attempts to follow him, that he is with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As he tells Gideon, as he told Moses, as he tells Joshua, the, the promise that God is giving us is that he is with us. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in essence, what faith is, is trusting that that's enough, mm-hmm. that God's presence in the midst of our storm and in the midst of our exhaustion struggle uh, ultimately is enough and yeah, yeah. I, I think i would agree i would agree with that i would also just as you were talking i was thinking about pastorally i really would want to come alongside this person and ask you know what exactly is it that makes you tired hmm. i think a lot of the problems that men and women with same-sex attraction experience in our churches adds to their exhaustion instead of giving them a place to rest hmm. and so i think i would encourage them as I have been doing a lot of lately, you know, encourage them to be honest with their friends, uh, be honest with their families. That look, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Same sex attraction is something that I struggle with. I intend to walk with the Lord my entire life, but I, I don't need to be able to, hide, to. I don't need to have to hide from you. I think that hiding. And I get it. We're gonna, actually almost every question we're going to deal with today has to do with the hiding. Mm-hmm. And I think that hiding makes the church a place that exhausts you instead of a place where you get rest. Yeah, and so, that's right. That's right. I, it, it, that just reminds me, I was talking to a guy last Wednesday who, uh, his struggle is a bit different, assuming this is a question about same-sex attraction. His struggle is not in that direction, but is very much with, uh, with pornography and, and just being overwhelmed by that for the greater part of his life, actually, more than half of his life now. And... He just, he verbalized, he said, I just, when I give into it, I feel so alone. And that aloneness is bearing, is borne out because you're bearing a burden that you were never intended to carry alone. Certainly we offer it to Christ and trust that he comes alongside us. And as he gives us his people in their presence in our lives too, we share the burden. And um, so I think that's, that's a huge part of this struggle and it's a huge part of of uh, finding joy and rest amidst mm-hmm. a life with, that will be characterized by struggle on this side of glory. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I think I think that's great. It's a great point. You know, one of the things I've tried to really stress as a church is that we're we don't just give up in the face of our sins, but we confess them to each other, and we're we're limping together toward glory, and and we have to be able to lean on each other. And that fear, that feeling that you're all by yourself with no one to lean on, not only is it exhausting, but it's discouraging. You know, it's kind of like Cam Newton last night when he didn't jump on that football. He was just not, he was so discouraged by that point. It didn't seem like it was worth it. And uh, I think that feeling of being alone is is the most discouraging thing a Christian is going to experience. Yeah. Good questions. All right, next question. Um it's a long one, but I think it's important for those of you listening who have uh, who struggle with same-sex attraction. The question is, how do you respond when you yourself know that you are loved and approved of uh, by God? You owe man no explanation for the road that God has you on, and yet a Christian who means well wants to, quote-unquote, help, and in doing so, questions you in a way that makes you feel ashamed and condemned uh, for something that you have no control over. How should you respond to this Christian without lashing out or wanting to hide? I think that's a great question, and um, my response is, my response is, you need to show grace to this person, assuming if they really do mean well, then they just don't know what they're talking about. And at some point, the loving thing to do is to come to a Christian, come to a person, and say. I love you, and you just don't know what you're talking about. And and share with them what it's like mm-hmm. to discover that you have same-sex attraction when you never wanted it, and to share with them uh, what your life has been like so that you can get them on your side. It, now, again, we're assuming this person is a Christian, and it may take them a little while um, to, to really believe that uh, same-sex attraction is something that you didn't seek. We we live in such a ridiculously politicized culture that uh, Christians are afraid and, and really taught not to see homosexuals with any compassion whatsoever. Uh, or they're taught in the in the mainstream media uh, that if you're a Christian, you have to see homosexuals as the enemy. And I think. It really causes a amount of confusion in a Christian's mind to, to meet a Christian homosexual. And so try to be gracious. Almost see yourself as an ambassador for uh, all your friends and all the people out there who are struggling with same-sex attraction and didn't ask for it. I think that would be really helpful. I, I, I can understand. I mean, I can't understand. I've never been in your shoes. That sounds like an extremely hard thing to do. And it would get old and it would get tiring. I think it would get easier the more you do it. But um, that would be the ideals. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously sometimes you're just going to smile and say, bless your heart and move on. But um, the ideal, I think that would be the ideal. Yeah, I, I think this is a place where uh, we're having to pull apart decades of political of this issue, uh, and, and certainly as that's infected the church in its response to same-sex attraction issues surrounding homosexuality. And so for the question asker, uh, I would just say part of this struggle, unfortunately for you, I mean, the str- as if the struggle itself isn't hard enough, part of what the Lord may be calling you to is, is 
inviting others into your steps and, and into your shoes and, and giving them a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus with these desires, with this attraction, and, and really, like Ricky said, sharing with them what it's like. And, um, you know, and not saying you've just given up and you're totally given over to the desire, but really telling them that you are engaged in a battle just as they are on the many fronts of their own life. This is one of the fronts where you're uh, seeking to uh, be engaged in that battle and not just give up or give in. And, you know, it's, I think as, as people talk about this and have written about it, one of the things that that's just hard for people who, uh, in my own view, I would say maybe, maybe not understand this very well is that the ick factor is they just, it, it quote, grosses them out or, they can't imagine how mm-hmm. this struggle is like their struggle. It just seems so much worse. And uh, for the question asker, I would just say, encourage you and, and say in the midst of being beat down by the struggle, maybe Jesus is asking you to help educate his people on mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the normality and the, and the, what life what, is like, yeah, what life is like. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, to to help them see that people with this struggle are not pariah yeah. uh, in this world. So, and uh, what I've found in my life is the more you talk about something that and, and just bring light out on it, the less terrifying it seems. So I would encourage you to try as much as you can and, and find a church that's going to walk with you. Yeah. All right. Next question: uh, If a friend. Uh, struggles with same-sex attraction, but does not feel a need for healing from it and rather embraces it and calls himself a believer? How do we respond to this person? That's a hard question. Um, And one of the reasons for that, the the difficulty of that issue is uh, what I have found to be a a primary rule for ministry is I don't answer questions that aren't being asked. And because you just, you don't have any, entrance into this person's life and so if someone doesn't f- see a need to get better or see a need to be healed then then really there's there's not a whole lot of ground to stand on but uh, assuming that this is a, a close friend someone you have opportunity to speak to often um i think man this is a big question i think that that road you're going to have to go down with them is the road of authority of scripture and what do I mean by authority? I mean uh, that Scripture is written by the author uh, of the world. Uh, the word author is right there in authority, right? And, and God is the author of the world. He knows how He designed us. He knows what is best for us. He is the author, and therefore He has the authority. He can tell us what is best for us. We don't have to rely on the latest psychological study or the, the latest cultural trend to tell us what is best. So, you know, you're probably going to have to walk with this person for a long time. It's not a whole lot different than having friends who are just living other regular lives. You know, they're, they're sexually immoral, but heterosexual, and they don't see a need for healing from that. Uh, you're going to have to kind of wait until the Lord breaks them down a little bit, and, and when they are needing help, they're going to turn to you. Uh, you. You have to believe that God has you in their life for a reason. Brent, I'm sure you deal with that a lot on the college campus. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, um, not surprisingly, I actually agree with um, 
the, the authority of Scripture thing. Uh, last fall, we had the privilege of having uh, Dr. Rosario Butterfield come to campus. And if you don't know who that is, you should Google her and, and order her books and, and read them on this subject. And, and she gets into other subjects as she's talking about uh, her own story uh, coming out of uh, a homosexual lifestyle, um, really through conversion to Jesus. She was in the midst of writing a, a book project or researching for a book project on why, essentially why the, the Christian church hates the homosexual community. And as part of her research, she a couple of things happened. She met a, pa- a pastor who was willing to engage her in, in very honest and frank discussions about this topic and about scripture and the Bible. And also what happened is she, uh, in the span of two years, she read the Bible seven times. And as she says in her testimony, that as she read more and more of the Bible, she wanted to hate it. She wanted to disagree with it. She had all these questions about its supposed contradictions. And as a good uh, whole book English professor, she took it in chunks and realized that the narrative of the Bible and the worldview that it presented and the consistency and the the authority with which it spoke in and of itself became bigger than her own story. And so what she says is that she found that she had to submit herself to it because she found it to be more true than any competing narrative in her worldview. She found she had to submit herself to it first and that obedience followed that. And um, so she's saying that her actions ultimately came under this other authority structure. And that that's really just a picture of what it means to trust the authority of scripture. And no one comes to that point outside of God's work in their life and their heart. And I think we have to realize that this is why we don't lead by telling people you have to go live this way and then you'll see that it's true. What this person and what all people need, including me and Ricky and any other, any other person is we need an encounter with the grace of God, Mm, that Jesus came and died for us while we were still sinners, and he's not asking us to get our sexual house of cards in order before we follow him. Uh, So as friends to to people who have this struggle and others, we constantly want to be praying for them. We want to be begging the Lord to open their eyes. We want to be sensitive to where they are in their life stage. We want to be such good friends with them that when those cracks develop in their life and when we have... uh, eyes to kind of peer into the heart of hearts, to their heart of hearts, that we can see how they need the balm of the gospel applied. And we trust the Spirit to be at work there, and we encourage and challenge uh, along those lines, I think. Thanks, Brent. That that book, again, is uh, Dr. Rosario Butterfield, uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, I believe. Yeah, and then the follow-up is Further Thoughts from an Unlikely Convert, um, and that really talks about union with Christ and how uh, the Spirit enables us to challenge all kinds of things about our life. Okay. Good. I think I may put that next on my reading list. All right, one more question about uh, homosexuality, and then we'll... Uh, final question, Brent, and I think this is really... How do, you, how do you help a friend who is confused about her sexuality, who loves God but feels like she has to abandon the church because she thinks she will be shunned? Well, I think that, unfortunately... Um, there are two extremes and maybe she's finding herself having to uh, be in one of those two extremes. And the extremes are at one end, uh, a a large swath of American churches, a large, you know, I I don't know percentage wise what it would be, which are open and affirming and would 
would say, hey, there, there is nothing wrong with this, uh, with this, with giving into this sexuality and this sexual sin, um, or they wouldn't call it sexual sin, but giving into this desire. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum would be uh, churches that certainly would make you feel shunned and would shun you, make you feel very ashamed and very isolated if this is your particular struggle. And so I would kind of challenge the premise of of the church and, and um, what her idea of that is. And I would say, um, I hope, I hope and would pray that there would be a church that would help her nuance this issue and how same-sex attraction is certainly uh, a very deep struggle for many people, but it is, um, it is not unique in its, in its struggle. I mean, it's certainly going to be more difficult than some other struggles people have, but uh, to give yeah. her a church and a place where she can wrestle with it and talk with, with others and with pastors and leaders in the church um, about her sin and not feel like that she's excluded or or just kind of written off from the very get-go. I yeah. think she would need yeah. um, a thorough and deep understanding of the gospel and to be hearing that on a continual, yeah. continual basis. And I think, I agree, Brent, I think it's great. I think, you know, the, the main thing I would do in this case is it sounds like your friend just needs to know for sure that you are her friend. And, um, you know, a lot of times what people have told me is, you know, when they've come to me for counseling, that nothing I said to them really helped, but, which is a huge shock, but um, (laughs) but what does kind of, it is a life-changing thing is when I've cried for them and just told them I'm really sorry. And I think it sounds to me like the best thing you can do for this friend is cry for her and then absolutely let her know that, no matter what happens, you will never shun her. Mm-hmm. And just tell her that we, you and I, we will walk together and we will find a church that will not shun you. And um, and whatever happens, you'll never have to hide from me. And I think that's such a pastoral thing. And and, and that's important for everybody, uh, no matter what their, their struggle is, mm-hmm. to know that, that you're not going anywhere. And I think that's a challenge to to all Christians mm-hmm. that we check our own hearts and say, what are the things that if someone came to us and shared about their own life that, that we might kind of recoil or step back or, or think, man, I don't want to, I don't want to mm-hmm. enter into that yep. or I don't want to walk that journey with someone right. um, and, and move toward repentance for our, ourself. Yep. Great. Good, good. All right. A couple of easy questions just because uh, when I preached on this text, I, pre- uh, I preached about this issue uh, two weeks ago. The sermon was on, based on John 5. So I have two questions about John 5 that I just want to answer real quickly because that's easy. Um, first of all, John 5 verse 14, Jesus says to the, to the man who had been crippled and he had healed him, he said, uh, sin no more lest something worse may happen to you. The question is, does John 5, verse 14 imply that invalid sin caused his initial condition, and how can we apply this to our own sin? Quickly, uh, the answer to that is just no, it does not imply that. I believe what Jesus is saying there is there are many things that are much worse than a life of being paralyzed, and uh, the top of of that list would be uh, an eternity separated from God, and so so stop sinning. Uh, And and a lot of times when the the word sin in the New Testament is not so much like an ethical stop being bad, but it's don't miss out on the gospel. And I think that's what he's saying there. Don't don't keep following after your idols. Come to me, and uh, because something much much worse than being paralyzed would be missing Christ. And the final question is: um, 
During the message on John 5, you mentioned that the Pool of Bethesda was likely a hot spring of some kind, which bubbled up from time to time. The Word says an angel of the Lord started up. Uh, my question is, how can we know what John meant, especially when we can't read or understand the Greek? And my answer to that, without meaning to sound like a smart aleck at all, is you need to start... All right, without meaning to sound like a smart aleck at all, you would be very wise to use the footnotes of your Bible. What I mean by that is the original English versions, especially the, the version uh, that became the standard, the King James Version, that was translated from Latin texts, and the Latin texts were older. They were not as written as early as the original Greek texts. So a lot of the newer translations, such as the English Standard Version, the New International Version, they went back to the older Greek texts, and they have a much truer uh, translation. So what most likely happened, if you go to that text, if you have a version of the Bible that says an angel of the Lord stirs the water, if you'll look down the footnotes, you'll probably see something like, this is not in the, the earliest Greek manuscripts. Or if you have a later version, such as the English Standard Version, that the whole section about the angel stirring the water is not in there. And if you'll look down in the footnotes, you'll see some later manuscripts say an angel of the wa- uh, stirred up the water. So what, what was probably happening, what we think, what most scholars think is, that someone later, maybe 100, 200 years after Christ, uh, was trying to explain this bubbling up, and they added a little note that an angel of the Lord came in and stirred up the waters. But uh, in reality, that, that was not in the original text. There's a few places like that. There's, there are several in Acts where we think some explanatory notes were kind of added in. Uh, there's only one real theologically... Uh, hot button issue that is ever in a in an added note, and that's in First uh, John chapter five, I believe, where there was a rather long explanation of the Trinity that was in none of the earliest texts. Um, but you know, there's no major sources of doctrine. Certainly, the Trinity does not rise or fall on that one uh, verse. But they are, uh, you know, just some small issues. And again, I, I really encourage you to read footnotes to the Bible on that. Any extra input? Yeah, I think the King James is a unique translation for the very reason Ricky just said in terms of its the manuscripts it used being the Latin manuscripts. And it sounds very scholarly and, and all that, but really what that means is that by and large, you, can, you really can trust the translation sitting in front of you. As translating committees get together and, and decide exactly how they're going to word a phrase of the Bible is there look is they're all looking at the best Greek manuscripts out there. The things that will change between manuscripts are, you know, the use of prepositions and do we use a two or do we use a four um, or mm-hmm. do we go in this thing or on this thing? It's very minimal. And so um, even though you kind of start, may start wondering, well, man, can I even trust the Bible? I'm looking at by and large, the issue, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Yes. Um, they're all they're really really good manuscripts, and the people interpreting these are not trying to, you know, just go willy nilly on what they're saying or how they're using the manuscript evidence. Good. Hey, Brent, thanks a lot for meeting with us today, and uh, I'm going to go back and edit this a little bit, but that was great, and I hope you all found it interesting and helpful. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer on our podcast, please email them to 
admin, A-D-M-I-N, at riveroakstulsa.com. If you'd like to know more about Reformed University Fellowship and the great ministries they have on over 100 campuses in America, please go to uh, ruf.org, and you'll find out everything you need to know there. And uh, thank you so much for spending part of your morning with us. I hope this has been helpful. This is From Sunday to Monday. I'm Ricky Jones. I'll see you next week.